0: Let's pray. Father in heaven, that, that passage that was just read to us describes so wonderfully the burden of an evangelist, of, of a Christian, who's been entrusted the treasure of Jesus in the little old jar of clay that is each of our lives. And as Paul says, we're We're perplexed sometimes, perplexed at ourselves, perplexed at others. Lord, we need your help. Would you clarify what it means to uh, see the glory of Jesus and to speak the story of Jesus? Help us to see how glory is at the root of what tempts us to be stingy with the gospel we seek the glory of man and then pray that we would help we would be helped to see this morning how glory is also the way forward a vision of your glory that we might speak your story in jesus name we pray amen this time it's my privilege to ask you to turn in your bibles to john chapter 12 beginning in verse 41 Gospel of John, chapter 12, beginning in verse 41, and if you'd like to use one of the red Bibles in the seats, today's text can be found on page 899 in the red Bibles, 899. And if you have a handheld device, good luck to you. I don't know where it is, but I hope you do. I hope there's folks that, you said, I see my son using his handheld device. That's good. That's good. This is part two of a two-part message on the topic of evangelism and Mound Evangelical Free Church. The big idea last week and this week is simple. When it comes to evangelistic intensity, glory isn't just part of the problem, it's also at the heart of the solution. When it comes to evangelistic intensity, glory isn't just part of the problem, it's also at the heart of the solution. That word glory appears three times in three verses in John 12, 41 to 43, and in two of the cases, that word stings, and it's designed to. It stings not because it's a bad word. The word glory is not a bad word. It's a neutral word. But the way that John presses that word glory into service in verse forty-three and 42 and 43, it's designed to, to decimate you if you're a disciple of Jesus. Look at them with me. John twelve forty two and 43. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Now, apart from the word glory we argued last week that the key words in those two verses are some conjunctions but and so that and for but and so that and for in verse 42 the but defines it qualifies the sort of folks the sort of faith that these folks had in Jesus right they believed in him but and fear is what John has in view here, but even John knows that fear is a rather shallow diagnosis. And the Bible's not a shallow book. There's nothing profound in simply concluding that worry and anxiety keep people from going public with their faith in Jesus. Worry and anxiety about what? That's a profound question. And John goes there. The Bible goes there routinely. The but in verse 42 is an important word, but it just establishes the category. It's the so that that follows. That's where the action is. Why did these first century believers not publicly confess their faith in Jesus? You see it there at the tail end of verse 42. So that they would not be put out of the synagogue or the Thanksgiving dinner with extended family that you will be at. Later this week. Now we're cooking, right? The first century synagogue wasn't simply a religious center for a Jew, it was their entire relational network. It's not like getting tossed out of a church and you simply go to the other church across town. That's not the way this works. For us in the 21st century, exclusion from the synagogue here in our nation would be the collapse of your entire system of polite relationships neighborhood, school, workplace, social media, marketplace, and yes, even your own family, perhaps immediate or extended varieties of family. You can begin to see how these people were counting the cost of Jesus following Christ. But it's not the four in verse 43 that Uh, Excuse me, it's not the so that in verse 42 that's the the lowest level that this passage descends to, but rather the for in verse 43. The for in verse 43 gives us the reason underneath the reason for their unwillingness to speak up for Jesus. Why did these people not want to be put out of the synagogue? Same reason you don't want to be put out of the synagogue. Verse 43, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. That word glory, as some of your translations have it, can be translated praise. We talked about that last week. The praise that comes from man more than the praise that comes from God. They love man's well done more than they loved God's well done. They loved man's approval more than they loved God's approval. And you can take it to the bank that if you know Jesus and other folks know that you know Jesus, You will have their praise so long as you don't mention his name. You can have your faith in 21st century America, but woe to the Christian who attempts to make that faith known and public. You likely have family members who don't want you to get religious at the Thanksgiving table this week or at Christmas dinner next month. You may find yourself in that situation over the next several weeks, family reunion, neighborhood get-together, office party, and you will have yourself your own John twelve forty-two to 43 moment. What are you going to do? If you place a premium on the praise of men, you know exactly what you're going to do. Mount Evangelical Free Church, to the degree that we are seeking others' glory, we will not be speaking to them about Christ's story. To the degree that we are seeking others' glory, we will not be speaking to them of Christ's story. Now that was last week's message in about seven minutes. I realize that that stings. If you know Jesus and yet you consistently fail to say a good word for him, I realize that wound is raw. We just sort of left the wound open as we left last week, although there there was some, some gospel word of encouragement at the end. And it's at this very moment that I want to remind you, invite you to remember that this big idea is important as a two-part sermon. When it comes to evangelistic intensity, glory isn't just part of the problem, it's also at the heart of the solution. you believe that? You should believe it. When it comes to evangelistic intensity, glory isn't just part of the problem, it's also at the heart of the solution. So let's, let's heal this wound. Let's walk away encouraged into Thanksgiving week and into this upcoming holiday season. We felt the word of God sting. Now let's hear the word of God sing. You ready for point two? Here it is. Mount Evangelical Free Church, to the degree that we are seeing Christ's glory we cannot help but be speaking to others about his story. To the degree that we are seeing Christ's glory, we cannot but help but speaking to others about his story. In 2 Corinthians 5-7, the Apostle Paul says, we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. And yet... That wasn't entirely true for the first century apostles, was it? Paul is kind of doing a a you and me thing together here. And I think he's saying the way he says it in 2 Corinthians 5-7, for the benefit of those in Corinth who in point of fact hadn't seen Jesus with the eyes of their head. Paul had. Remember, first century apostles actually walked by sight, which gave rise to their faith in the resurrected Christ it formed the basis of their apostolic credentials and it had an irreversible impact on their public witness. Peter and John say in Acts 4.20, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. You can't unsee a resurrection. We're going to talk about that. And whether that's right in your eyes or not, you're going to have to decide for yourself, but we've seen a dead man walking. Okay. Or... 1 John 1, 1 to 1-3 that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we've seen with our eyes which we've looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we've seen it and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you. So Peter and James and John and Andrew and Matthew and Mary each of them had seen him. Even Paul saw him. So here's my question. What did Isaiah see? John 12, 41, the text for today, is a spectacular verse of Scripture if you give it a little bit of time. We're building the whole thrust of the second half of the sermon around it. So let's read it. John 12, 41. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. That's it? Yeah, that is it. And properly understood, I want to argue that this verse is the silver bullet. It's the panacea. It is a cure-all for your evangelistic woes and difficulties. What did Isaiah see? Let's be careful. Verse 41 says that Isaiah... Saw his glory. So Isaiah saw glory. Whose glory? Because the the whose or the rather the his and the him in verse 41. That's what we want to know the identity of. Now, in context, I don't think we can draw any other conclusion. The his and the him is Jesus. Verse 36, verse 44, those are the verses that bookend this section here. Jesus is the one who the authorities in verses 42 and 43 won't go public with and they won't confess their faith in him. So it seems that the his and the him of verse 41 had to be Jesus. Everybody buy that? Sounds right to me. Now I hope your, your brain is beginning to break right now because Isaiah and Jesus were not historical contemporaries. Now, by a long shot, Isaiah lived some 700 years before the birth of our Lord. These men were separated by nearly three-quarters of a millennia of time. How do we account for this? Well, let's go back to verse 41, plugging in what we do know and see if there's anything else that becomes clear. Knowing what we know about the identity of the one in verse 41, John 12:41 reads, Isaiah said these things because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke of Jesus. The Old Testament quotation from the previous verse, verse 40, is drawn from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10. And in Isaiah chapter 6, we read the words of the prophet himself when he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And perhaps you're familiar with the rest of the vision, but flying, singing seraphs, shaking thresholds train of his robe filling the temple, the temple filling with smoke, and Isaiah's done. He says, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amidst amidst a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, Not only that, but once Isaiah has seen the glory of this King, notice that he's ready and willing to go anywhere and speak to anyone about him. Isaiah 6, 8 says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, You wonder how he said it. I mean, his lips had been singed and burned with a coal from the altar. I don't know if he stood right up and said, Send me like that, or if it was more, will I do. (laughs) But here am I. Send me. I can't unsee what I've just seen. Now, you line up Isaiah chapter 6 alongside John chapter 12, and the dots begin to connect themselves. Notice that fear, at least the fear of man, is nowhere to be found in verse 41. That's encouraging. John 12, 41, God is big and people are small for Isaiah. In John 12, 42 to 43, people are big and God is small. Glory is in view in each situation. You see that? Praise is the tipping point in each case. In verses 42 to 43, the approval of man weighs heavier than the approval of God. And in verse 41, the approval of God, not to mention adoration and enjoyment and preoccupation with Him, trumps anything related to the fear of man. That's what looms large. In instructing the first century church in their public witness, the apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 14 and 15, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. And unless or until we understand that evangelism is fundamentally rooted In who or what we worship, we won't see the deep roots of idolatry that keep us from it. And the celebrating, uh, rather the, the celebrating the gospel is the key to communicating it. Why did Isaiah publish the good news about his Messiah? Verse 41 is unambiguous. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. So Isaiah, as well as the first century apostles, walked by sight, which gave rise to their faith of the resurrected Christ. Now, recalling that 2 Corinthians 5-7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight, here's another question. Should this discourage us, that we walk by faith, not by sight? Should the fact that Christians walk by faith, not by sight, be disheartening or disappointing to us? According to Jesus himself, the answer is no. In John 20, 29, he asked Thomas, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Who's Jesus talking about there? Us. You and me. Have you seen him? I mean, with the eyes of your head? Me neither. Me neither. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe because you have seen him with the eyes of your heart. Peter, who of course had seen the resurrected Lord with the eyes of his head, wrote to the church in 1 Peter 1, 8, and 9, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Though you have not seen him with the eyes of your head, if you know Jesus today, you've seen him with the eyes of your heart. So while first century apostles and prophets like Isaiah walked by sight, which gave rise to their faith in the resurrected Christ... 21st century disciples walk by faith, which gives rise to our sight of the resurrected Christ. Jesus cares very deeply, not just that we believe, but he cares how we believe. And not only that, he cares about what our believing can achieve. You saw what the the faith of the authorities was worth in verses 42 and 43, not much. And over and over again in the Gospel of John, Jesus deals with people who say they believe in him. They say that they do, but their belief is not rooted in his words to them, rather in his works. I'll give you one example of this. We saw it in our sermon series on John a couple of years ago. John 8, 30, 30 to 32. John 8, 30 to 32 reads, Many believed in him, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This offended these people like crazy. By the end of the chapter, they're getting ready to stone him. But you know what this means for us? It means that we who walk by faith in Jesus' word are at zero handicap as it relates to compared to those who walk by sight. That's amazing. So as we trust in his word, we see his glory. It's the one place in the world where his glory shines truly, authoritatively, clearly, sufficiently, and powerfully. So now here's the connection to evangelism. To the degree that we are seeing Christ's glory, we cannot help but be speaking to others about his story now I've been mulling on this for a couple of weeks and uh, one particular connection came to mind how many of you are familiar with the old gospel song this little light of mine this little light of mine written by Avis Burgesson Christensen who was a student at at Moody in the 1920s interestingly 1920 Moody Bible Institute Uh, That song, This Little Light of Mine, is rooted in the wonderful words of our Lord, Matthew 5 and Luke 11. And the song in part proclaims, and you know how this goes. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And then it's, hide it under a bushel. What? No! I'm going to let it shine. Now, here's my question, just to play with the song a little bit. What if that little light wasn't your flickering, teeny, tiny candle but instead a huge flame-throwing bonfire that you saw that morning. What if your evangelistic intensity is not hinging on your little light, but rather on the great, glorious, explosive, luminescent light of Jesus? I mean, if it's all about your little light, it can be awfully tempting to hide that little light under a bushel. Or under a basket, especially when doing so would be advantageous to your relational peace. Verse 41 does not say that Isaiah was committed to letting his little light shine. Verse 41 says that Isaiah said these things because he saw Christ's glory. And to attempt to put Christ's glory under a bushel is dangerous. You see the difference? Isaiah said these things because he saw Christ's glory and spoke of him. He couldn't unsee what he saw. The words of C.S. Lewis are fitting here. In his magnificent essay, A Word About Praising, Lewis says the following, All enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise unless... Sometimes, even if the fear of boring others is deliberately brought in to check it. This happens to me every, every time I see something glorious. I'll, I'll, I'll pull a family member aside, I'll go, I've got to share this with you, at the risk of boring them to death. And it's not that way, oftentimes, because of how fascinating the subject matter is. The world, Lewis says, rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers passing by the countryside, players praising their favorite game this afternoon. Praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. Men spontaneously praise whatever it is they value. So they spontaneously urge us to, enjo- uh, to join them in praising it. This is so great. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't that glorious? Don't you think it magnificent? Lewis says, The scriptures, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they seek to express something they care about. We delight to praise because what we enjoy... We delight to praise what we enjoy because praise is not merely an expression, but rather the completion of our enjoyment. Praise is enjoyment's appointed consummation. And he, Lewis, closes with this: It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. It's frustrating to have discovered a new author and yet not be able to tell anyone how good he is or to suddenly come to the turn of a road upon some mountain valley, some unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep that silent because the people that you are with care no more for it than the tin can in the ditch or to hear a good joke and to find no one there to share it with. So here's, that's the end quote. Here's my closing plea. Will you open your Bible? tomorrow morning open your Bible and like Jacob not let those pages go until they bless you until you see the bonfire of Jesus Christ with the eyes of faith hang in there with your day's reading maybe a few chapters maybe a single chapter possibly a paragraph or a verse however much glory you've decided to view in front of your heart eyes and then ask God to give you one truth Just one thought, one verse that you will take like a lozenge and and put it under the tongue of your soul and let it dissolve all day long. And like a lozenge, that word will dissolve. I mean that in two different ways. Number one, the word of God will break down and become a part of you and feed you and give you sustenance, feeding and nourishing your inner man all day long. But secondly, it will dissolve And like all things that dissolve, it will disappear. And you will need a new word lozenge the next morning. You'll need to pop another one in Tuesday morning. Or to change the metaphor, you can't burn yesterday's gasoline. That's an impossibility. But you can't have fuel for today. And that fuel will take you everywhere you need to go, into every connection, especially with folks who don't know Jesus. We said last week, the point isn't so much to get to the people, but as to come from Christ. When you come from Christ, you automatically get to the people. Or as we say in this church, you can only export what you are manufacturing. What you grow in the fields is what you load on the trucks. You serve what's in your cupboard. Jesus said it best, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Amen? When it comes to evangelistic intensity, glory isn't just part of the problem. It's also at the heart of the solution. Mount Free Church, to the degree that we are seeking others' glory, we will not be speaking to them about Christ's story. And to the degree that we are seeing Christ's glory, we cannot help but be speaking to others about his story. Tonight, praise and pie at 6 p.m., It's our privilege to host our dear friends from Calvary here. Child care is provided. It's going to be a great night. See you back here at 6. Right now, let's pray. Father in heaven, it's so simple. Follow me, Jesus says. Follow me. I will make you become fishers of men. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we wouldn't be so concerned with this little light of ours and rather be mesmerized by the great, big, explosive light of yours. As it was read to us a few moments ago, the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And every single one of these pages, Jesus, moves toward you. You said to the Bible believers of your day, you search the scriptures because you suppose that in them you have eternal life and yet it is they that testify to me and you refuse to come to me to have that life. Lord, may we we turn that around on its head and may we go to the scriptures as they lead toward you and find our lives in you. And may we move from that daily meeting with you into the rest of the day stretched out in front of us. I pray, Lord, that we would take the advice of C.S. Lewis and realize that our enjoyment of you will not be consummated and complete until we share it with others, especially those who are far from you. So grant us fresh faith. Grant us encouragement. Grant us joy in Jesus. And grant us boldness toward and love for those far from the kingdom in these days. And may we say a good word for our Savior, King, in whose name we pray. Amen.